Well, again, good morning. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. We are continuing our series this morning called The A-Team. This is week three of the series, and we are looking at the wall of Jerusalem and the art of shared responsibility. Now, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 today, verses 15 through 23 are kind of the uh, meat of the passage. I think I maybe even start at 13, but first a little background leading us up to kind of where we find ourselves before we get started. Now, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. I hope I said that right. King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia. Now, he asked for permission from that king to return to Judah and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He also asked for the supplies necessary, along with a letter uh, that would have the king's seal on it, which would tell the surrounding uh, kingdoms or the surrounding people groups that he had permission from their king to be doing what it was that he said he was doing. And he was granted those things. He was given that letter. He was given permission to go. He was given uh, access to all the supplies he would possibly need in order to rebuild Jerusalem. And so he starts his journey home, which would take him about two months to complete in order to travel back to Jerusalem. And along the way, he begins to show that letter of authority uh, to the surrounding kingdoms and the surrounding people groups to say, hey, this is what we're going to be doing. And just so you know, I have the permission of your king in order to do this. But he almost immediately faces oppositions from the surrounding people groups because a strong Jerusalem is not good for those peoples. And so uh, they automatically start to conspire and try to figure out ways to uh, prevent Jerusalem from being able to rebuild. So Nehemiah continues, he gets to Jerusalem and he finds it in just really bad condition. They need a lot a lot of repairs. The walls have been destroyed and the gates have been burned. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, it says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let us start rebuilding. And they began this good Work. So then chapter 3 goes into this various, uh, goes over the various repairs that were completed. And then chapter 4 begins with a gentleman named Sanballat the Hornite, an enemy of Jerusalem. And he's plotting again to fight Jerusalem and to stir up trouble. But Jerusalem becomes aware of this plot and is able to thwart it before he finds any success. And so this is where we find ourselves in chapter 4. We're going to be verses 13 through 23. I know I originally said 15, but yeah, I start in 13. So I'm going to read through that. It's a pretty good chunk of scripture, but then we're going to break down what it is that we can learn from this passage in Nehemiah. And it says this, it says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I took things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. These are the people who Sam Ballot the Hornite is trying to raise up in opposition. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. 
From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued to work with half the men holding the spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. So there's a lot in this passage, but there's also a lot that we can take and learn about teamwork from it. And the first thing that I think that I really took away from it that I think applies to all of us is that large undertakings require an all-hands-on-deck approach. Large undertakings require an all-hands-on-deck approach. Nehemiah needed every single person to help complete the rebuild of Jerusalem. Every single person. In order for the walls and the gates of Jerusalem to be rebuilt, every single person had a role. Nehemiah stationed these groups around the wall by families. It says that really early in the passage, by families. And that's really important because typically uh, in battle, you would say that you would see it, see it's, you would see it said, you would see it said that Nehemiah placed men around the walls. No, he placed families. This means men, women, and children were placed around the walls to all fight for Jerusalem. Part of what he did, part of the reason he made this decision is because it would have inspired the men to really, really, really fight, to not cower in fear. Why? Because their families are with them. And so if they were to come under siege, if they were to be attacked, the men would have a little bit of extra motivation, and they would also have a little extra help when it came time to fight these people off. It put tremendous stress on his people. It put tremendous stress on the men of Jerusalem. It required them to be selfless. It required them to work outside their comfort zone. But if they wanted to be successful in rebuilding the walls, that's what it was going to take. It was going to take people to step up and fill a role that they wouldn't normally fill. He needed all hands on deck. And so that's exactly what they did. And he also shows us that when it comes to any large undertaking, when it comes to a team trying to perform a task, we cannot ever forget encouragement along the way. We can't forget encouragement along the way. You see, he recognizes the stress that they're under and he brings all of them together, the nobles, common people, everybody, and he encourages them, reminds them why they are doing exactly what they're doing. He reminds them that their God is there to fight for them. He reminds them that they have no reason to fear. Encouragement is a really key piece of successful teamwork and it's a really key piece of finding success in any job that we do. We have to let one another know that we are there for them because it's easy in times of stress when we're weary and scared and unsure to lose sight of why it is we're doing what we're doing or why we started doing a job in the first place. And it can get to the point where we think, 
I don't even know if anybody's recognizing what I'm doing. I don't know if anybody cares about what I'm doing. It doesn't seem to be working. It's stressful. I'm tired. I should just stop. I should just stop. And I think we've all been there. We've all found ourselves in places in our lives where we've had to make the decision to keep pushing forward, to keep going, to keep with a task, or to say, yeah, I'm just done. I'm just done. And we don't want anybody on our team to ever get to a point where they grow so weary, so isolated, so unencouraged that they think that their option is to stop the task at hand, right? Because the task was started for a reason. It was to return Jerusalem back to its strength. It was to return God's people back to their rightful place. It was to give God the glory that he was due. And at any point in this task, they could have said, ah, no thanks. Uh, we're done. But no, Nehemiah understood the stress that they were under and he made sure to encourage them and to remind them why it was they were doing what they were. I don't know if that was smooth wording, but understand this. If you got nothing else from what I just said, understand this. Encouragement is never a wasted gift. Encouragement is never a wasted gift. Anytime you take time out of your day to encourage someone else, it is effort well spent. It means something to that person. They may not even know how much at the time, but encouragement is never a wasted gift. It is a very important part of teamwork. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we're told, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And this, the reason it has that staying at the end is because Paul was writing that letter to the Thessalonians, and he just wanted to remind them to continue to encourage one another. He recognized that it was something that they were good at, something that they had as a people group been doing, but we can never get to a place where we think, I've done a good enough job with this. I've encouraged enough. I've, I've lifted each other up enough, and they'll be fine now. No, we have to continue that process. And then if we look at Ephesians 4, verse 29, it says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who is just like super negative, super negative in the middle of something you're doing that you don't want to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I always go back to two-a-days when I played football. They don't even do two-a-days anymore. Like, kids have it so easy these days. Not really. But we used to do two-a-days, right? And you would be out there for two, like, two-and-a-half-hour chunks. You'd get, like, a 45-minute break in between, and they'd fill you up with Gatorade and bananas and pickle juice so you wouldn't die. Uh, and they wouldn't have to feel bad about literally torturing you. But you'd always have that one kid where you're out there like everybody's struggling. It stinks. It's supposed to stink. Like they're trying to kind of weed out the quitters. And there's a lot of reasons for it. That, but, but, but it's just awful. And if you were like me, you were always fat and always hot and always sweaty and always miserable, even if you loved what you were doing. And there's always that one kid who's like, this sucks. I don't even know why we're here. It's so hot. Football's dumb. And you're just like, listen, you can either leave or I'm going to get you to leave. Like, you know, you figure this out. But we've all been around that person who just really drags down an atmosphere. You've been around people like that at work. They're like, I don't even want to be here. They don't pay us that much. The benefits suck. It's hot. The air conditioning went out. They didn't, they didn't even give me a, like a pull appreciation tootsie roll. I'm really mad. 
You know what I mean? Like, we've all been around, and we've all been in situations where people act like that, and you're just like, this is dumb. My parents made me get this job. I don't even want to be here. Fries are stupid. I don't even like them. They're salty and hot. And you're just like, all right, kid, well, uh, I got bills to pay, so shut up and keep working. Right? But, like, we've all been around folks like that, and, and it's really easy to find ourselves in those situations, and all that does is tear everyone else down, Right? There's, there's no way like that person gets ignored. You know, a lot of times you really have to fire them, cut them off, you know, weed them out because that will weave its way through a group and really tear them down. And so we don't have any room in this journey that God has us on for unwholesome talk. We don't have any room for negative Nancy to always be bringing everybody down. We need to make sure that with our words, we're building one another up and we are encouraging one another. And that wall in Jerusalem never would have gotten rebuilt if it hadn't have been for the encouragement of the people with one another, right? I, I can promise you that the story would have ended with, and they didn't finish it, and they stopped, right? But no, they kept one another strong. We also learn from this story that sometimes an all-hands-on-deck approach requires you to have your hands in multiple areas, right, or on multiple tools. I'm going to take you back to Nehemiah. It's 17, like the second half of 17 through 18. It says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. What if everyone who filled one role on a team refused to fill another? What if everyone who filled one role on a team refused to fill another? Right? We've all been in this situation too where somebody on our team, whether that be at work, you know, that be in the family, whatever else, they, they go down, they get sick. You know, hey, mom's sick this week. Uh, she got the vid, sorry. Uh, she's not gonna be cooking dinner. She's not gonna be cleaning house. She's not gonna be doing your laundry. Like all these things that you think just magically happen for you. You're about to find out how much work she does or maybe it's dad, how much work he does. And we're all gonna have to pitch in. We're all gonna have to, you know, take our laundry to the laundry room. We're all gonna have to actually do loads of laundry and fold clothes and make dinner. Like we're all gonna have to be part of this. We're all gonna have to do multiple things. We've all been around somebody who's like, that's not my job. That's not in my description, right? On the, I know I'm taking it back to football. When I played football, that was always the quarterback. I'm the quarterback. I just like throw the ball and stuff and look handsome. You know, shut up, stupid. Well, you're about to see what it feels like when I let somebody through and you get tackled, moron. Right? But like, we've all been around people who are literally like, can I see my job description? I want to see what it says. Mm, doesn't say that. Not doing it. And you're like, dude, we, we're struggling here. Like, we are all in this thing together. You're going to have to build and carry the sword too. Like you're going to have to, you know, lay some bricks and be ready to shoot a bow at any moment. Like we need you to be able to do both things. And every time you find a team where people are like, yeah, I already do enough or yeah, I already do that or I already do this and I can't do anything else. You're bound to find a team that fails because what happens is the people who are willing to do everything eventually get burnt out and say, forget this team. I'm out. I'm done. I'm looking out for me now, or I'm going to go find another team where we're actually going to share in some of this responsibility. There's a, there's a rule in churches, most churches. Our church, Phil and I figured this out a couple years ago. It doesn't really apply to our church quite this way, but in the majority of American churches, 20% of people do all of the work. 20% of the people do all of the work, and the other 80% are just there to consume. They have a consumerism mentality about church. 20% of the people are doing everything. 
Now, for our church, just out of size alone, it's a little higher than that. Okay, it was closer at one point to like 50. If I'm being honest, I think it's dropped a little bit, but it's more than the 20%. It's more than that. But even still, how awesome would it be if we could take that 20% to 50%? Or if we could move that, that 20% to an 80%? What if we were all sharing the load? What if we all had our hands on multiple tools and were looking for ways to further the church, to further the kingdom of God? I mean, idealistically, The obvious goal would for it to be 100%. We have every single person doing something. Every single person doing something. And here's the thing. Every single person can do something. Every single person can. Physically, I'm not able to do a lot. Can you pray? Can you pray? You know, the... uh, the, there's some ladies in our church have been doing a book study and my wife's been reading the book and she's been talking to me a lot about the book and it seems like a really good book and the author uh, quotes Spurgeon a lot and I don't know if you guys know who Spurgeon is but Charles W. Spurgeon uh, was a like the first mega church pastor in the world and he never intended to be the mega church pastor but he was over in London and he preached over time to millions of people and there would be tens of thousands of people on a weekly basis that would come and listen to him preach. And this was a long time ago. And at some point, somebody asked him, they said, what's the secret to your success? And he said, there's not any secret to my success. If I had to point to one thing, it'd probably be this. And he says, come with me. And so service is taking place and there's thousands of people and he leads them down into this basement of this church and he opens the door. And when he opens the door, there are 300 people lying face down on the floor. 300 people lying face down on the floor. And the person says, hey, what's going on here? And he said, they're all praying for the Holy Spirit to be moving in the service above. They're all praying for the Holy Spirit to be moving for the service above. Maybe you can't stack chairs and clean the church and lift heavy objects. And Can you pray? Can you pray for the church? Can you pray for the workers in the church? Can you pray for the people who call this church home? If we could get 100% of people in our congregation to pray for Crosspoint on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, we would not be able to contain the amount of people wanting to come through those doors. That is a truth, and it is a truth I believe. And that is something that every single one of us can do. We can all pray. We can all pray. We can all encourage. We can all say, hey, I see everything you're doing. You're doing a great job, and I just want to let you know I'm really thankful for it. We can all encourage. Every single one of us can offer encouragement to someone else. We can all do that. There are plenty of things we can all do. We can all take our coffee cups after service and put them in the trash can. We can all do that right? Every single one of us can make it happen. We can all get it done. If we could move that 20% up to 50%, up to 80%, up to 100%, there's no limit to what God can do. Because remember Nehemiah's reminder to the people, when you hear the trumpet, gather around to us. Remember, God will fight for you. God will fight for you. God will fight for his people. He will absolutely fight for every single one of us. And here at Crosspoint, we are building a metaphorical wall. 
We are rebuilding our metaphorical gates. And there are places where you can serve. We've got Club 45 with our fourth and fifth graders eventually coming up to our youth. We don't do things very often with them, but we start doing events with them to try to get them moving and get them used to being able to do that stuff as they move up into the youth group. We have our youth group. We got kids that need some positive influences. We have adults that need positive influences. I'm not going to say anything, but it's probably in a youth group. I'm saying, but we have a ton of kiddos. And we have a ton of kiddos over there right now. And we have a ton of kids that aren't here today. We have a ton of kiddos over there right now who need to be poured into. Not babysat. Not babysat. Not just, hey, we need somebody, so can you go sit there? We need people who are passionate about furthering the kingdom, even if you're not passionate about kids. Hey, you want to know a secret for most parents? They don't like other people's kids. They like their kids. They love their kids. They don't like your kids. They'll tell you they like your kids. I'll tell you I like your kids. I don't like your kids. I'm, just, I'm, kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. If you saw online, it was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. I love some of your kids, right? They just don't love me. Ellie hates my guts. She's like, I'm like, Ellie, and she'll smile at me. I'll come closer, and she'll be like, but, you know, I'm just saying, like, you don't have to like them, but can you love them enough to tell them about Jesus? to pour into them, to, to show them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. We got things that need to be done. There's places to serve. And if you're still trying to figure out where that is and what that is and how to do it, hey, guess what you could still be doing? Praying, encouraging, being present. That's a way to serve, believe it or not. We got to change the way we look at church here at Crosspoint. I'm going to be real honest with you. When I first got here, it was, hey, come if you want to. Don't if you don't want to. It's all good. Jesus loves everybody everywhere. Very true statement. Very true statement. But why is this the thing that gets cut off from your, this is what I'm going to do this week list? Why is God the thing that gets put on the back burner? Some of y'all are mad at me right now, and I love you. I'm, I'm not trying to make you mad at me. I don't even know why I said it. If I was thinking longer than 30 seconds, I wouldn't have said what I just said. I would have kept it to myself. But this place has got to be a priority. God's got to be a priority. If we want to rebuild the walls, if we want to rebuild the gates, if we want Crosspoint to be what God can make Crosspoint, we need an all-hands-on-deck approach. I need you. I could be the best speaker in the whole world, which we all know I'm not. Okay? I'll say it. I mean, I could be as charismatic as all get out. I could be in great physical shape and handsome and wear long shirts and skinny jeans and cool clothes. And I could be that guy. I could write our worship songs and hand them over to Phil and say, Phil, sing this beautiful ballad to the Lord that I just wrote, but it would be awful, right? I could be that person. I need you. God needs you. Hopefully somewhere in your life, you found that you need me maybe just a little bit. That's all I'm asking for. If you say, I, I, just a little bit. Sometimes I'm like, okay, Paul says good things. I'll be happy. But we need one another. We need one another. I, I could talk about this forever. I'm going to shut up here real soon, okay? But I'm really passionate about this because here's the thing. I love coming here. Not to this building, 
right? Not to this building. I love coming here to you people. You people. What do you mean you people? I mean you people. <laughs> Y'all are my family. I love you. I think about you. I pray for you. I wasn't here last week. It sucked. I woke up on Sunday morning and I was like, I'm on the beach. Yay. About to get stung by a jellyfish. I'm feeling cute, right? I missed you guys. I wanted to be here. And maybe you don't feel the same way. Oh, God, I don't want to say this. Maybe you don't feel the same way, so maybe you need to go somewhere where you do feel the same way. Again, didn't want to say that. Don't want you to leave. Every single one of y'all that's here, every time someone says, hey, I'm going somewhere else, it hurts. I'm crushed. But if God is leading you to do that, if God is leading you to find somewhere where you're passionate, to find somewhere where you can't get enough of, to find somewhere where you look forward to going, where you dive in and want to be a part of, that's what you should do. My prayer is that you'll see that you're loved, needed, desired, wanted, cared for, thought of, and that you'll find a way to make Crosspoint that place. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. I have always believed in Crosspoint, the group of people. Always. I've been here for a long time now. I, every time I'm like, I was here like three years ago, and it's been like seven or eight or nine, or I lost count because counting's hard. I've been here because I just can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of you, and I just know, I just know that God is ready to do big things. He is ready to do big things. But we need a big group of people to do God's big things. So I guess what I'm asking is for you to be a little introspective throughout this week, throughout your time here, and figure out what it is that you could be doing more. Maybe God is calling you to do something that you just haven't been open to or listening to. How can you help us rebuild our walls? How can you help us rebuild our gates? Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. Let's pray, shall we? God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I hope that this message left no one feeling attacked. That <laughs> I know that wasn't the goal. Um, if anything, Lord, I hope we leave this place feeling encouraged of seeing all the great things that are happening here at Crosspoint, of seeing how you are moving, of seeing how you are helping this church be successful. Lord, I love these people, and I know you do too. And I know that others that are not in church right now would benefit from being with this group of people. They would learn from this group of people. They would be sharpened by this group of people. We are blessed to be in a church that cares, that loves, that works. But maybe 
Maybe we should never see things as enough when it comes to working on your behalf. Maybe we should be looking for ways that we can improve our service to your kingdom and to this place. Maybe we just need to pray for you. Maybe we need to pray for you to come and change this place, to radically move in our congregation, to radically move in our sanctuary, to allow people to walk in and just be blasted by the Spirit, to know that they have come and they have met with a very real, very powerful Heavenly Father. God, you fight for us. You go before us. We are blessed that we get to participate in building the kingdom. We get to participate in building the kingdom. One of the coolest things that you've ever done is that you have made it to where you need us. Even though we know that you don't need us. You have designed this world, this life, in such a way that we get to be co-heirs with Christ. That we get to serve like Christ served. That we get to love like Christ loved. So God, give us an all-hands-on-deck approach. Help us to serve in the ways that we can serve. Help us to commit in the areas that we need to be more committed to. God, we just ask you to move in this place. In Jesus' powerful, powerful name, amen. I love y'all. Hope you still love me. This time, right now, we're going to pray and we're going to worship. And we're going to reflect. We've got a song to do it. We're going to have some people around the room that will pray with you. Joy, would you mind? I hope you don't mind. Chase, could you be back here under this television? Be back there. I'm, I'm actually uh, going to ask that you pray with them. I've got some stuff i got to get ready for our baptism. I'm so excited about that. You need proof that God's moving in this place. It's right there. It's right there. If you need to pray with somebody today, Pray with one of these individuals, two of the most godly people that I know. They not only love Christ, they love you. They love you. You need to talk about salvation today. Let's do that before we leave this place. Otherwise, stand now, reflect, let's worship. Let's thank God for who he is and what it is that he's done.